Don't look at me. No, you got to look at me. What are you <laughs> talking scared. about? This is a conversation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't get shy now. I don't want to get shy. It's four years All right. Hello, beautiful. Welcome back to another podcast. My name is Kaylin, and this is Girl Talk, but make it spicy. Today, I have a special guest, and we're going to be talking about the topic of alcohol addiction. And this special guest is actually a recovering alcoholic. So um, I'm just going to let him introduce himself. Hey, what's up? Um, I want to say hello to everybody that's listening today. My name is Christian, and I'm a recovering alcoholic. And I have the pleasure of being on Kaylin's podcast today. So I'm super excited about that. And thank you for allowing me to share my version of what it's like to be an alcoholic. Um, yeah. Living and in recovery. Mm -hmm. And your experience as well. So let me just say a disclaimer before we start everything. Okay. You are the greatest person I've ever met. So you've honestly, you've, no, for real. <laughs> Are you looking what? at me like that? Like a no, for real. You have been, and it sounds crazy, but let's just be very honest. You've been through like hell and back and you still remain such a positive and strong person. So I, this is my disclaimer to anyone that's listening. Please do not misjudge people based on their experience and what they went through. And I say that because the world has a horrible stigma of addicts in general, right. alcoholics, but they are humans too and they deserve sympathy they deserve love and to be themselves without judgment so i just want to say thank you for being transparent and being able to speak about these things your most personal experience and thoughts because i know this was a very dark time for you right and i only got to see just a a fraction of of your addiction you know um, so I just want to say that because the world is full of judgmental and mean people. And if you're one of those people, then you don't belong here and you should kindly end this podcast. Thank you. That was my disclaimer. So, <laughs> that was sweet. yeah. So, so before I start every podcast, I do movie or TV show recommendations. Oh, that's cool. So I'm going to start off with a TV or movie recommendation. One that I can think of. So... Is this specifically from like streaming networks or like they could that they can yeah, watch right after the... from like Netflix, Hulu, um, usually like that or like just a regular movie. I see you. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I do want to recommend a movie. It's called I See You and it's on Netflix. Yes, it's on Netflix and, and it's sick. From what I can explain, so there's this couple and they're going through, I guess... I'm not, I don't want to tell too much, but they're going through some things right now in their marriage, right. right? And their son is being affected by it. And so there's like a negative energy that they feel in the house. The weird things start happening. It's like a ghost-like experience. And then right. they find out that it's actually something else. And that's what I'm going to say. I see you on Netflix. Yeah, recommend it. Go it watch it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really It'll probably good. freak you out. <laughs> and uh, on the... On a level of horror from one to ten, what would you mm. what would you rate this film? Honestly, if I'm a big horror movie person, right. so I rate things on like a really high scale. That's okay. Um, I'm gonna mm. give it like a seven. Okay. Um, I'm not gonna lie. 
Maybe like an eight. I'm going to give yeah, it an eight. I think it, it definitely opened up my eyes to different types of horror. Horror. Yeah, right? yeah, that's like, true. This is a different twist on the horror Because there's the terrifier and then there's... Then, then there's actually... And then there's movies like this. Like, there's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah. So what so, about you? You just mentioned it right now, right? The Terrifier. If you haven't seen the Terrifier oh, God. before, you gotta don't, see it. Don't watch it. Yeah. It's one of Mm-mm. it's it's like uh, uh, definitely one tip. But you gotta that. warn people because that thing is like okay, too right. much. Like if you're super sensitive or like, uh, it it just has a it's a, what's the word for it? Gore. It's gory, it has yeah, a lot yeah. of gore. Yeah, it's very gory. So it's if you don't film, like those yeah. movies. Don't watch it. <laughs> yeah, if but like, if uh, you do like gory, crazy horror movies, then go watch The Terrifier. And they're on Netflix, right? Yeah, it was on Netflix. I mean, there's a few of them. Be, I know there's, there's a, a Terrifier too. But yeah, definitely, I think it's been um, one of those that are, are going to last the, the, the test of time as far as uh, horror films. What's that movie called that had the lady from Insidious? The Roommate? Is it called The Roommate? What? The Roommate? The Roommate. Was it? I think so. What was so. it about? I don't remember. Yeah, this movie's called um, Room for Rent, and it's it's basically about a lonely widow that rents out a room in her home. So uh, when the movie kicks off, it it you know shows this uh, elderly woman, uh, and she she you know sadly lose loses her husband, and it's pretty much left with with very little, and uh, you know is presented with the opportunity to to turn our home into Airbnb. And um, I'm pretty sure that we've all stayed in Airbnbs and, and you can imagine how sketchy that can get, um, particularly for, for a woman that's, you know, never even heard of Airbnb and kind of just starts making some money. So um, that's definitely one you should check out. I think it was good. It wasn't um, quite like uh, The Terrifier but, or, or I See You, but it's definitely another horror film with a, a different twist. Um, I think that You'll be satisfied to watch, to watch this one. So you actually explained that probably better than I would have. <laughs> it's on Hulu, I believe. All right, cool. Yeah. Hulu yeah, or try, try Prime Video, um, Room for Rent. It's really good. You should watch it. So that is it for my recommendations. And we're just going to jump into the episode for today, which is cool. alcohol addiction. So basically, alcohol use disorder, also called alcoholism, alcohol dependency, alcohol addiction, it's a chronic disease characterized by uncontrolled drinking and preoccupation with alcohol. Alcohol, it, alcoholism is the inability to control drinking due to both a physical and emotional dependence on alcohol. And then it says it's very common, more than 3 million U.S. cases per year. Treatment can help, but this condition can't be cured. Um, It says chronic can last for years or be lifelong, which is insane to me. That's crazy. I mean, it's true. It's true. Yeah. We're going to peel away the layers of alcoholism in a very transparent manner. Um, We're going to add some insight, not only from myself, but from, from Kaylin as well. And um, again, right, we don't want anybody to feel triggered or, or offended. But yes. on the contrary, I, the reason why I was open to this opportunity was because the things that we learn um, and that we do for ourselves in life, they 
basically die with you. Um, whenever we have the opportunity to help somebody else or to share something with someone else, or particularly do something like this where we get to actually record it on wax, right? Um, it becomes immortal. Like this can last forever. And you could potentially touch one or two or three or a hundred people, mm-hmm. even way beyond when you're done podcasting, yeah. right? Um, I always say if I even, if this touches one person or if I can help one person help another person, that that just, that's my goal. Because I think I was put on this earth to definitely help people. Like that's just my passion. I love people. I love, and it's so crazy to say that because I am an introvert, but I still love people. Like I would yeah. do anything for anybody. It doesn't even have to be my own family. Yeah, but like I said, I, if this could help one person, then... That'll make me happy. That's really my goal. At least at least just one person. My first question to you is when was the first time you had a drink? Or if you can't remember the age, when is the first time that you got drunk? Like you felt That's awesome. That's a great question. Drunk. I it's interesting because I've thought back to the first time that I got drunk. I don't remember the first time that I had a drink because I do remember drinking like forties and stuff on a block, my friends. Back in the 40s were like $2.50. And that was like beer and stuff like that. But I do remember vividly uh, when Princess Diana passed away. And it was just such a big event that happened, you know, that it was all over the news. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it stuck out in my mind. I mean, I definitely know that that's the first time that I got blackout drunk. So... And how how old were you? Do you remember how old you were? I don't remember exactly, right? So I know that... let's. Do the math, right? Princess Diana died when? What year? So Princess Diana died in 1997. Um, that means I was 12. So think about that. That's so actually... you remember it. Okay, so you remember the first time you being drunk, and it was the day Princess Diana died. So the day she died, it was they were showing it on the news. I remember drinking that day. We had Smirnoff vodka. And it was like an orange twist, and the bottle was like a twisted bottle, right? Mm. We added like orange juice, and I was at a friend's house. Um, and, you know, I always hung out with older people. So um, my brother was significantly older than me, but uh, just kind of like the friends that I had on the block sort of considered me as more mature than the other, I guess, 12-year-olds. Mm. And I was I would chill with some of my friends that were... I want to say 18 at the time. So my brother's seven years older than me. Okay. So between so 18, you were tw- 19, 12, 16, hanging 17. out with 18 year olds. Yeah, between like, yeah, between my age and, and 18. So there was sprinkled in between, right? Okay. And I guess like the eldest one was probably like 19 or something. Uh, so I got twisted that day and I remember not remembering. So I woke up the next day yeah. in my underwear, my friend's apartment. I don't know. They had to put me in the bathtub. I've heard a lot of stories of where people put someone in the bathtub to try to yeah, help, help them sober up. Usually that's the case, yeah. Um, but I don't remember anything. And to be honest, I didn't think much of it besides being embarrassed or whatever. You were embarrassed, but you... At 12 years old, because that's, that you're not even a teenager yet. That's like a preteen. Pre-preteen. So I feel like that's very young. You know, to me, that's very young, right? So did you ever think... I'm going to get in trouble for drinking like this or I shouldn't have drank or was it normalized amongst your friends who were older than you who are already drinking? Yeah, to be honest with you, I think we were just having a good time. Mm. You know, um, we 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 were, we were from a, 
a place where, you know, drinking, smoking weed and and hanging out with girls was kind of like the goal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like for young kids, that's kind of what it's about for a little while in their life. I was ahead of the game, really. So, you know, maybe, I mean, obviously I wasn't ready for, for things like that. But realistically, it I didn't think about it much the next day because I didn't, I didn't have to worry about going home afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, I stayed at my friend's house. So I woke up the next day, did whatever it, I had to do and yeah. go back home. And, and you know, obviously so nothing, you don't tell your parents about it. Yeah, like that. My mother was a single mother, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, as long as I was safe, she was cool. And what, what's awesome is that I was on the same block. It's not like I was, you know, miles away or something like that. It was like a building over, you know. So... So basically nothing in your mind was like, oh, I shouldn't have did that. I'm too young. It was oh, more no, like, I just don't want not. my mom to know. <laughs> At that age, I was on a thousand. I already thought that I, that I was grown. Yeah. You know, not in, a, not in a disrespectful manner, but just like, I just felt myself wanting to, to keep up with the older group, you know? Like, yeah. I remember trying my first cigarette, I think that first day. Ooh. And uh, burning half the cigarette, trying to light the cigarette, right? And one of the girls that that I consider to be like a beautiful woman, which is probably more than, probably like 10 years older than me, was, you know, laughed wow. at me about being a rookie. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're like, oh, look at these kids trying Ooh. to smoke. But if you think about it, right? Like, it's kind of crazy to imagine. If I'm 22 years old and I'm seeing a 12-year-old smoke in front of me, the way that I'm set up, I'm going to say something like, you probably shouldn't be smoking. You're way too young. But like you said, amongst the crowd, it was definitely normalized. Um, which I understand. I, I yeah. I, get I mean, that. so let's let's not like I don't want to I don't want to paint the picture the wrong way. I was having a good time, and I was you know. All but the- now that you're a grown man, and you look back at it, do you think that was? It's bananas. My daughter's thirteen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, think that's about what it. I'm saying. It like, doesn't make any you sense. You have a completely different mindset now. No, it changes, is- and this is gonna be part of part of what we, we're gonna see throughout this conversation is how. The mindset is different, right? As we go through the different steps and the different questions, and I want you to get through the things that you're curious about and that you think your audience should hear. Um, so, you know, I'll let you continue with your questions. I don't Thank wanna... you. Okay, so my question, right, in regards to the first time you drank, in regards, well, not the first time you drank, most, most, mostly the first time you got intoxicated, you said you were 12, right? Or around 12. So my thing was, who gave you the drink? Not who. Don't say who. I'm, Let's name them. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me start that over. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I do not want to call anybody out. Let me we try got links. Again. Click the link. Go right to their page. <laughs> Tag them. Tag no them. kidding. In regards to the person that... I'm sorry. Why I keep saying person? All right. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, did you... All right. Did somebody offer you the, to drink or did you just grab a drink? I was looking. Was it your choice? Like, not your choice, but was it your uh, decision? Yes, decision. absolutely. I remember taking my first, I guess, swig or sip of Corona. Right. And it was at a family party. It was definitely definitely a holiday. And I was like 15, close to 16. And I will say at that age, I felt more grown than I actually was. And even thinking about it now, I'm like, wow, like it's I think it was based on maturity. And because I would I would I would also hang out with like an older crowd, like just a little bit older. 
and I would just feel like part of the group because they were a little more mature. Um, but I, yeah, I remember not liking it. I remember telling myself, this is nasty, but I didn't realize the effects of it. Like you, you're a sober, but your sober body, right? And then you're only 15, 16, the first time drinking. If you had like two swigs, it could have, it could still affect you, right. whatever. So I just remember not liking it. And then that was it. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I, I, di I didn't have that experience. Like I, when I, did you like it? To... The, so the first time you had a sip, do you, I don't know if you remember because it was, you were young. I remember drinking. I mean, I remember getting like 40s from the store. And you didn't and... care about the taste because they don't really nah. taste that great. Didn't care about the taste. Especially at, at 40. <laughs> it's just beer. It's like malt liquor. But yeah. I think, uh, I think I understood the idea of drinking. I just, I never, I don't remember not liking alcohol. Like it wasn't like I was like, ew, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. It just fit right into what we were doing because it was the thing to do. I mean, to be honest, it, everything around the things I was watching and, and exposed to had those thing, elements in them. For example, I was a big fan of the Wu-Tang Clan. They were drinking 40s, smoking blunts. Mm -hmm. That was what all the music was about. Yeah. The people that I admired, like Biggie Smalls, Tupac Shakur, when you think about you know, all the other artists that were out during that time and the way that the music um, paints the allure of, you know, alcohol mm -hmm. and, and and recreational drug use. Yeah. I mean, it was the wave. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. If you're the guy with the beer and you got the weed or whatever it is, or you got alcohol, you're the, cool guy. You're the guy that the girls, you know, imagine the girls aren't going to the store trying to get... The 40 or yeah. getting roll-ups or getting bud, buying drugs in the street. It wasn't like back, like now people go to a dispensary and buy weed and whatever. I mean, you had, you had to go to the most sketchy places in the BX to try oh. to try to cop something. You know what I mean? And then, dude, you have no idea. The first time that I hung out with with a girl or something, and I and I was like, I have, I got bud to smoke. I had to go find a friend of mine to roll the blunt for me. You know, and then try to do it inconspicuously so I don't look like a cornball because I just didn't know how to roll yet. So Aww. you know, the pressures are are, are there, <laughs> like, but it's they're they're self. <laughs> you're so understanding. It's the self. It's the self. too understanding. The, the pressure is like you know, it's it's on yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ultimately, I hate to say the cliche thing, but it's so true. Like, partially, there are things that you want, and and you got to do certain things to 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 fit in. You know, to make it, to make it fit. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, in the beginning, it was, it was cool, you know, because the truth is, alcoholism isn't alcoholism the first time you have a drink. Right. That's true. You know what I mean? The alcoholism yeah. is not alcoholism. See, you don't know that. The thing is that, like, I've, I, like I said, I, this is not coming from just a, a place of me thinking and making up things. I have done deep research about this. And also just, you know, a little side note, I want to be a recovery specialist. So I have been doing my own research about alcoholism and let me, you know, just me being very transparent. I have lost a lot of family members from alcoholism. You know, I have lost a lot of family members and let's be very specific from an alcoholic liver. Right. right. So they pass away because their liver completely shuts down on them because of the amount of alcohol that they're consuming every single day.
And so I think I got to a place where I wanted to do a little more research about it because I cannot, I can't relate to an alcoholic. I can't. But if I can do a little more research about it, then maybe I'll be a little more knowledgeable. I'll, you know, just be more, it's like more sensitive for me, not only because I've lost family members to it, but also because I've dated people who have been alcoholics. And that was like, it seemed like it was like a common, common thing. So let me just, you know, be a little transparent and speak about my experience just a little bit. You know, I previously dated someone who was an alcoholic, right? He didn't know, not that he didn't know, but I guess he didn't admit that he was an alcoholic. There were significant things that would happen when he was drinking. And it would only happen when he was drinking. It would only happen when he was like, it's like when he was drinking, he would get like mad, angry, bring up old things, bring up the past and just to get himself amped up and worked up and then like take it out all, you know, take it all out on me. And so I don't know, whatever. I don't know if it's because of the alcohol that was making this person verbally and emotionally abusive to me, but that is what I went through in that relationship. But it was only when... He was drinking. Yeah, when he when he was drunk, when he was drinking. Um, and so, of course, I started, you know, because you're I'm a sensitive person. I've always been a sensitive person since I was since I was a little girl. That's just my personality. And that's not going to change. So I'm just a sensitive person. So the things that were being said to me, I started to believe it. But I started to believe that whatever this person is telling me, that's who I am. And so, of course, I started looking at myself differently. And that's not good. That's toxicity, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about the, the way that, that uh, like, um, you know, the, these character traits compound, right? You think, like, a narcissist as an alcoholic can be dangerous to mm-hmm. your... Right. To your self-esteem. That's like a double whammy. I mean, the reason why I talk about alcoholism high level, I mean, I'm going to be specific about Mm -hmm. many things, Mm -hmm. but um, it's super multidimensional, right? There's so many different types of alcoholics. Yeah. um, And what I don't want anybody to think is that we're trying to say that a specific behavior makes you an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned one thing that I feel is very important and is the person admitting that that they're an alcoholic. Yeah. Um, it's something that I think 99% of the people, and I'm making up that number, please don't, don't, don't hold me to that. Most of the people that are dealing with alcoholism, their biggest issue is just that they don't admit that that they're an alcoholic or that they have an issue that they can do better. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's what really, you know, holds people back from growth. Um, particularly in this area, because what, what it takes more than anything is a true spiritual awakening. And that's usually what it means is like yeah. you, you do a, a, a synopsis of yourself and you look deep into yourself and you start to realize where you've been um, not just lacking, but where you where you have huge opportunities for 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 growth and change. Um, and this is something really cool, because when when you're when you're struggling with alcoholism, as soon as you decide to change, you begin to see immediate results in your life. Mm-hmm. Some things in life, you don't get immediate results. But um, I mean, I'll tell you the truth. As soon as you stop drinking, as soon as you make a decision to change your life, uh, it, it, it's going to immediately change the way that you view the world. Um, and I don't want to take anything away from what you were saying. So you can continue. 
Yeah. No, I, I appreciate your input on that too. Um, I guess my next, my next question would be, when did you realize you had a problem? Yeah. So as, as Caitlin asked this is, it's interesting, right? Because she, she asked, you know, when, when did you realize that you had a problem? And it's funny that the story from when I was 12, um, for, for many, many years, you know, drinking was something that was normal. So I didn't drink every day when I first started drinking, right? I had school, obviously, um, high school, and and I, I I began working when I was, you know, 14 years old. So after school, I would go to work. But on the weekends when we had time to hang out, um, I, I'd usually get with my friends and, and some of the girls from the block. And, and we'd, you know, try to get some alcohol and and some weed and just hang out or whatever. Um, eventually, uh, I started to, you know, link up with some of my boys that used to be boy and stuff like that. And I started to get into to breakdancing a little bit. And, and some of those friends introduced me to to the world of DJing. And uh, that, that definitely was a game changer for me. So I got the opportunity to work with some amazing people. And, and these people took me places that I had never been before. So, you know, I did one of my first parties with somebody that's one of my best friends today that you'll probably meet in the near future. Um, I'll let him introduce himself when he comes on. So, but he put me on, you know, and taught me the game. Um, I used to rap, so I took to the MC side of, of DJing and um, started MCing and, you know, dancing at parties and stuff like that. And those parties were pretty much every single weekend. On those parties, you know, I got the, you know, some things from from my fr entertainer friends that I loved at first, but I realized eventually would be, you know, to my own detriment. Like, you know, I really started taking to the to the drinking prior, during, and then after the parties. So, you know, during the weekends, kind of the party never stopped. During the same time, I think I think around when I was twenty, uh, I landed a job in the Hunts Point Terminal Market, and you know, Hunts Point is a is a lovely place full of culture and. And some of my best friends are from there and, and live around there. I lived right in the area for a long, long time. So I lived in the South Bronx for most of the last decade. Um, and I, I gave like 15 years of my life to that, to that career. Um, that was a, a, an awesome experience working with those people. And, and I've met a, a lot of respectable guys too. But um, along with the beautiful culture of, of Hunts, Hunts Point, um, came something else right there's definitely a dark side we know that 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 part of the bronx is is infested with drugs and um you know when, when we talk about you know being the product of your environment you, you kind of see a lot of people that are suffering in that area um what's interesting is that when you're around a lot of people that are not doing too well because of drug addiction and 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 things of that sort um, something like having a few drinks after work didn't really feel like an addiction, you know? So after a, a long um, day's work, uh, you know, maybe we'd have a few beers. Eventually, I, I, I went to the night shift, and on, in the night shift is when I really started to pick up uh, more consistency with drinking with some of my friends. You know, we'd, we'd start taking, um, you know, water bottles full of alcohol, like vodka was definitely my favorite. Um, to work and it was something to do, you know, all you work on the docks and, and out in the street uh, do do the work that that was provided to us 
fast forward from when I was a child, right? When I was 12 or whatever, when I mm-hmm. had my first drink. Um, I definitely started to see that I was having some issues when I was um, already uh, working, you know, I was working two jobs and I'd find that when I was in between, like, in between gigs and work and I hadn't slept much, but I I just continued drinking for Mm -hmm. several days at a time, that I would have moments of, you know, moment realistically people would give me like feedback like maybe you smell like alcohol or have mm. you been drinking or mm. you know somebody will ask you a question like yeah. if you're, you've noticeably been drinking right and then there 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 were those moments where the bad the bad moments are usually when you have to do the the parade around the car you know to make sure that all yeah. the mirrors are there you didn't hit anything or yeah. or when you get up in the morning and you're looking for your car like where the hell did i park mm-hmm. and you find the shit parked perfectly but yeah. in reality you know, it's a scary thought. So that's, those are the moments when I started to find myself slipping. But um, I still hadn't ever said that I was an alcoholic to myself. I just felt, okay, you know, I've been drinking still a lot. Still in a register, there might be a problem, right? Nah, not at all. See, yeah. the, the, the ego is, just, is, a, is, yeah. is, a, is an incredible thing. The ego is, is wonderful because I was driving a Mercedes. I had a nice car, right? Yeah. I got a nice job. I had a nice crib. Um, I was with someone that, that I regarded as a, a nice partner, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt that I had all the things, right? I had a good career and, um, it's interesting how, you know, some people just won't, won't really tell you to your face. Yeah. Maybe they just don't notice. I don't know. You know, looking at it from 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 the outside in, like I I see people that I don't necessarily consider alcoholics. But you don't really know how deep it goes, right? Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the day, when they when when um you know they drink until they go to sleep, or yeah. the moments that really started to to make me feel different were when I when I had to drink in the morning, right? Yeah. So. Because they say, like, when you're hungover, to just drink more and then yeah. you'll feel better. The good old hair of the dog. But that's just... Yeah. I think that's what contributed to me being... Yeah, because nobody wants to feel hungover. That's such a horrible feeling. Yeah, but it's true, right? You feel hungover. You feel like shit in the morning. Yeah. But if you drink more, you feel better. To, yeah. You feel better, for real. You do. But the reason you feel better is just because you get drunk again. So you don't you're not going through a withdrawal, you just or or a hangover, you just stay chilling so you find that you bounce right back. Yeah. Um I started to you know find myself prioritizing alcohol more and more, right? Like uh in order like basically the same way that you make sure that you have things in the house, you know, it, it became like mm-hmm. a a big priority. But truthfully, you know, I felt like things were in the realm of control until, uh, until you know, my daughter's mother passed away. So we were together for 16 years. And as her health started to change and, um, you know, we thought that there were going to be, you know, changes in, in a good direction. Mm-hmm. Um, real, from my perspective, it was, you know, s- sudden. But when I think about it now, you know, things aren't so sudden, you know? 
Yeah, so, it was like warning signs. Yeah, there were warning signs, definitely. But, you know, on on New Year's Eve, I was at, at work 2018 going to 2019. Uh, and I thought, I'm telling you, I thought 2019 was going to be my year. Like, I'm like, 2019 is the year, you know? Mm. And I don't know why, I just felt like it was. And New Year's Eve, I got a call at work. And, of course, I was working in a freight cart in Hunts Point, so... You know, somebody came to get me, and they're like, you know, somebody they've been calling, like your 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 wife's in the hospital, and um, you know, to be transparent, like I was like, oh, you know, we're that means I get to get out of work and go home, and I and I'll just go pick her up, and then we'll start New Year's early. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to the hospital, she was in bad shape, and and um, she really wasn't feeling well. I was like, man, this doesn't look good in the sense of like she wasn't feeling good you know you know she had a a pneumonia um and that's another thing too that i just never understood you know how people always talk to you about pneumonia like if it's so dangerous it is though yeah but i didn't know you know like i didn't i never had pneumonia i never horrible infection yeah um well you know ultimately she got really sick you know she had a seizure in front of me she you know, went into a coma. And I watched one of the most beautiful women that I know, you know, slip through my fingers, so to speak, like grains of sand. It felt like in a fist. Um, and it really, you know, it taught me a lot about like the human soul. It's crazy to watch somebody's life go away and be snuffed out of their body. Like so unexpectedly, right? Like you, truly don't expect these things to happen to you mm-hmm. um but it didn't happen to me it happened to her you know and that was different right that 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 shocked the world right as far as our world and her family and mine and and our daughter's world and um that's difficult as much you know as you can imagine but then all of the things that i thought that i had acquired in my life were quickly taken away. I really just don't, it's, it's a super sad um, moment in my life. Mm-hmm. Not just for me, but for, um, for her family, for our daughter. And um, it's, it's difficult to articulate in a, in a way that isn't gonna trigger people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's Which the truth. This is not our goal, we're not trying to trigger anybody. Right, right. It's, it's, <laughs> That's it's the, the last truth. thing we want to do. Right, right. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that has happened and has affected everybody's life um, in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was not just scary. The tragedy. Yeah, it was definitely tragic. Um, and it changed the trajectory of a lot of people's lives. Then my life started to change significantly. Um, you can imagine I have a child um, and there's family involved and things of that nature. So as I, you know, amazingly, I have a, a pretty strong family. Um, I don't have a, a big immediate family. I have, I have a large family that's, that doesn't all live like in the same area. Right. So I have a lot of brothers and sisters, but, um, my two brothers that I grew up with were there, um, immediately for me. And of course my mother and I think it was the first opportunity that they took to say like, hey, look, I know this is sad, but we don't want you to die. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think about it being possible 
I was drinking like if it was water. I don't know how to explain mm-hmm. it. Like I just drank like if it wasn't harmful. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So I learned a lot from the the you know the reasoning behind why people lose their lives when it comes to alcohol. I didn't realize that a young person, um, 32 years old, could lose their life mm-hmm. looking so beautiful and vibrant and being somebody that's into fitness and and all the things that like a, a young person you know does except you know the excess the excessive um use of alcohol or the frequency so you know that def- definitely opened up my eyes to, to that i had had some some moments prior where i had a i had like collapsed at work because um i had taken something like i, I was definitely a experimenting with different um recreational drugs like taking like percocets and mm-hmm. and uh you know smoking and stuff like that but then you know i was also doing other things that that didn't help so you know i had a moment where i like collapsed and i was taken in an ambulance to the hospital and the doctors at the hospital told me like you know you can't keep doing this to your body this is not good yeah. and i and i asked them like you know your liver it it recuperates right like you always heard like the liver can like regrow itself mm-hmm. or something like that like this that's not how it works it's not like you could just drink and your liver is good it's mm-hmm. not what that means you know for a healthy person that doesn't abuse you know alcohol if you think about it your liver has to you know process this stuff and it's pure poison really the way that i was drinking um anyway to answer your question yeah um her her passing was definitely a moment of truth um but I, that wasn't what made me realize that I had a problem. Um, when I started to try to stop, uh, is when I, it started to get weird. Anyway, I was just out of sorts. And then I, I, I found myself drinking alone. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just crazy. Because the people that I was normally drinking with were now out of my life. Mm-hmm. And um, when I started you know, to be around my own family that doesn't drink. It was completely abnormal for me to have a bottle every single day. Mm-hmm. So I do, I I would like to touch on specifically your job as an MC and how we met. The alcoholism that you were facing that I had no idea about. And then I started to, if it's, of course, if it's okay with you, if I can speak about like my experience with it and us as a couple, like when we got together. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, the first time that I met Christian, he was working for the, um, he was working as an MC for a casino. Um, first time I seen him, I, I was like, this is the coolest guy I've ever seen, I've ever met, like on the stage with the mic in his hand. I just thought it was great. I'm like, look at him. He's like thriving. Something that I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to be on stage because I like to sing, right? But I could never step foot on a stage because I was just, you know, I have stage fright. I'm I'm an introvert. So I don't really like all eyes on me. That's just how I am. Um, And then meeting somebody who is an extrovert and who has so much, like you just, when I met you, exude confidence. And I, I admire that. Because you were doing exactly what you loved and what you wanted to do. And you didn't care what anybody had to think about you as opposed to me. So 
when I met you, I'm like, this is such a cool person. Like, and then you're you're working at a casino. Uh, what was it called? The the resorts world. Casino yeah, the uh, resort world casino. It was a uh, the three sixty bar. Yeah, and you know, my mom would go there every weekend. And so when we, you know, we met and we were friends, didn't talk for a very long time. But when we did start speaking again, um, it seemed like your life was in shambles. Like you were trying to figure it all out. So when we first got together and started a serious relationship, I obviously didn't realize that you were going through something, right? But when it comes to like your alcohol addiction, I know that you were emotionally... And mentally going through a loss, a very significant loss. Um, but I just didn't realize the extent of the alcoholism, the the addiction that you were going through. Right, I didn't didn't realize at all. And I started noticing little things, like you said, like you would have, you would bring like a bottle every day. And I'm not a drinker. That's just never been my thing. Right. So especially <laughs> with vodka. Yeah. yeah so i just felt like when you pull the vodka out to me that's like party like a party or everybody's you know sharing the bottle not amongst two people like it just i just felt like it was a little abnormal to be you know to be honest mm-hmm. so when it was like a bottle of vodka every day i'm like all right i could i could hang a little bit like i could drink a little bit with you like so I, I started feeling like I had to keep up with you. And the first time that I tried to like sit down and drink with you, I got drunk. <laughs> and that was like my second time and last time being drunk. And so I felt myself like when we first met, I'm trying to like impress you in a way. And I'm trying to like keep up with you in a sense when it comes to how much you drink and stuff like that. I've always been around drinking since I was younger. Always been around drinking. So that was normal. Um, and then obviously before you, I had a relationship with someone that, you know, was an alcoholic as well. And that was a whole other experience and situation. So coming into this situation with you, I did start noticing a few like red flags and a, like a little like warning signs that were just like, oh, okay, maybe this is like a little too much. Maybe he's drinking a little too much. Um and I just remember, like, and it was like the very beginning of us starting, you know, starting to date. I asked you if you cannot. I was like, maybe we shouldn't drink today or maybe we should just like take a break, you know, because it was like a like a like I want to say like at least two days of binge drinking where I mean, and I wasn't I you were binge drinking. I was having as much as like my body can handle. But um, and then I started you know, like I said, I started noticing the little warning signs and I'm like, okay, maybe we shouldn't drink today. And you were like, mm, well, maybe we should. Like, so I started noticing things like that. Anyway, so when we're deep in, in our relationship and I'm already like months, many months pregnant with our son, I, the experience that we had, um, I will say it, it was hard, right? It wasn't the best. Because you were deep, like pretty deep, if I may say. You were pretty deep in your addiction. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, you know, it, the, the thing is is this, like, I found that when I decided to stop, that I, that I had, when I admitted that I had a problem, it just became 50 million times harder. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it just felt like everybody was getting in my way, to be honest. It was the most yeah. frustrating thing ever. Like, people throwing away my bottles, me waking up, the shit is gone. Um, and although everybody's, like, trying to help me, so to speak, it's not. there's nothing more frustrating than when you're addicted to something and then you don't want to look like an addict. You are not mm. used to feeling like if you're an addict because then you get put in this... Bubble. In this, yeah, Bubble. it's just... it's There's so many levels to, to yeah. it. It's kind of crazy. Um, and the only other people that accept you are other addicts. Like, yeah. I could go to to like the people that are standing outside the liquor store drinking and they understand you know what i mean like not just understand they're like oh what's up and they'll drink with you as to as opposed to somebody that is just like a normal non-alcoholic person they're probably like i'm throwing this shit away Mm -hmm. you know what i mean for his own good so yeah when when you and i got together um i was still struggling with with denial so i admitted that i was an alcoholic but i was still in denial like i said it out loud just to kind of like do the work the do the piece that was necessary to get people like kind of off my back in a Mm -hmm. sense because at first it was just kind of like how can i drink without people bothering me yeah you know i had already lost um my wife i you know the, the place that i was staying at got taken over by the person that that uh you know, I don't want to say anybody's name, but whatever. You know, those yes, those those things got uh, <laughs> yeah. got uh, wrongfully it's like changed. Everything got like, taken oh, away. Yeah, from yeah. You. everything in my home was yeah. you know taken out of the home without my permission. But it's interesting because if you're an alcoholic that's struggling, and then you go through something, you have the tendency. And you know what? I don't need to speak in general in generalizations. I started drinking heavily. I mean, I had just lost somebody that was close to me. Drinking mm-hmm. was my was something that I went to anyway. And um I was pretty much incapable of doing anything that was um you know, in line with taking care of anything important. I mean, think about it, right? Like if you have to deal with any type of law enforcement or or uh any other people that are doing normal things you can't show up to these places drunk you know what i'm saying so eventually by the time i had gone back to my mother's house for you know refuge um and then you and i managed to speak sometime later i was able to kind of cover the things that i was going through with the alcoholism until Mm -hmm. it just was obvious right um it's interesting though because at some point i found that you can get help from your job right so i came across the eap program for the first time for people that don't know that's the employee assistance program and most jobs have an employee assistance program Mm -hmm. i'd never even heard of this thing never um at work there was a joke actually uh people used to be like pa pa like they're gonna send you to pa i didn't get the joke Nobody said anything that, about PA being Pennsylvania. I didn't get that either. But some of the guys would, would joke like that, <laughs> right? And they, like, point at each other that's and say, crazy, yeah, because, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like... And that's where we ended up, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So at some point, I got in touch with uh, the employer uh, assistance program because they had offered they had offered me not to work. They said, hey, look, you shouldn't be working. Now, keep in mind, I lost everything. Uh and i was still going to work because for me work was the number one priority you know and i still was in good standing at work so i was still going to work and the union was like hey look you know you really should be taking some time off if you're going through something like this and um 
they gave me the opportunity to to try going to rehab. So I eventually I was like, all right, forget about it. I'm gonna go to rehab. I told to my mom. I told to everybody. They're like, yeah, that's what you need. I couldn't believe how many people were on board. I'm like, yo, this is messed up. You know, because you just don't know. It's the breaking point. It's hitting the rock bottom moment. What was your breaking point when you decided to get help, to go to rehab? So, again, you know, I was still trying to find a way to... to and I'm, and, and I'm saying this now because in the moment, I didn't realize what I was really doing. But I was just trying to find a way to get out of the situation that I was in, right? To put myself back in good standing in people's eyes and and to to continue to live a, a normal life, so to speak. I mean, it was there was nothing normal about drinking all the time. Um, so I had already gone through the things that were bad enough for me to feel like I had hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. But... You know, rock bottom has a trap door. You know what I mean? Like, I decided to go to rehab. I went to rehab. Um, it's a 30-day program. They had told me it was 14 days. And um, in your first week, you pretty much detox. And anybody that knows anything about addiction, like, you can go to, like, a hospital or something. And they'll, they'll probably take you in if you're, if you're going through something and and allow you to get sober in a, in a safe way. So I didn't I didn't realize that. And this is interesting, too, because this was something that I learned in rehab. Like, you you could... Alcoholism is one of the few things that you can die from withdrawal. So alcohol withdrawal can literally kill you. Mm-hmm. So they give you medication so that you don't, you know, you don't seize. And have a seizure that could potentially take your life. So in... in Within the first week, I mean, two or three days, you're sober. You know, I'm I'm a pretty young guy, so, um, and at the time, particularly, I just, you know, I f- I felt like myself in 14 days, and I just had all the the right um, words to say to the therapist and stuff like that, and I and I thought I was ready to go, you know, back into real life. Were you scared when you first went to rehab? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was weird. I don't think I was scared. I wasn't like afraid of going to rehab. I just didn't know what was coming. That was the first time that I ever like go control, right? Like I wasn't the kind of person to ever miss work or put jeopardize mm. my, my role at work or whatever. And um, I had been in, in the company for so long that, I mean, in, in you know, in, in that union for so long that I, I didn't want to lose my job, to be honest. But, um, you know, they guaranteed the work would be fine. And, and I, got, I had the support of the people around me including you and you know i went to rehab and it, it was lonely obviously right being away from family but you know you follow the things that they give you and you you know eventually time passes and you you get out but the truth is that within 17 days of me being sober i was drinking again yeah um and it was real easy can i speak about the first <laughs> that first time yeah sure so um you work nights you know, um, this is when we were still living in New York. So you work nights and then obviously you would come home. It was like probably like, what, six in the morning, seven. Yeah. So I would usually wake up around that time. Um, and I remember like this is after after rehab. And you said it was about 17 days. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so about like two and a half weeks maybe or two two weeks and some change <laughs> to be specific. But I remember you um you came to me and I was obviously sleeping. You just came home from work, from working nights and you kissed me. And when you kissed me, uh, you know, I could definitely smell that there was alcohol somewhere. Like I I I guess like I just it w- it was pretty obvious that you had something to drink but I just didn't understand it because I'm thinking like if you work nights to me that means like all the the liquor stores are closed and like there's like where would you where would you really get alcohol from right and that's another question in in itself um but yeah you came home and then you gave me a kiss and I, I definitely smelled the alcohol and I asked you and I was like have you been drinking this is you know what two weeks out of rehab I asked you, have you been drinking? And you told me, yeah, you were honest with me. And of course I got, you know, I got upset and my own emotions and stuff. What made you decide to um, to drink again after even experiencing rehab for the first time? Because that's nothing. very important because you were... Yeah, nothing made me like, there was no nothing uh, other than just... Did you feel like you had it under control? Like you were yeah, good? I felt like I was winning. I'm like, all right, it's just, it's just insanity. It's literally insanity. I, 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 it's, it's that simple, you know, it's super insane. You know, we as alcoholics, like find somebody that's like addicted to drinking, you find a way to drink. And also, um, did you think, (laughs) and also, I'm sorry to laugh. It's not really funny, but I'm just laughing. (laughs) Did you think that I wouldn't notice? Maybe, yeah, I think it wouldn't... It's just that you got to understand, right? When you're sober, you have a plan. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. When you oh. start drinking... What? Go ahead, I'm sorry. What the, no, I was going to say that makes so much sense. When you're sober, you... You have a plan. Yes. I'm like, all right, sense. cool. I'm going to go and watch... I'm going to go to the liquor store before I get in the train, before I go to work. And I get, I don't know, a sleeve of like 12 shots. Yes. Yeah. It's $12, right? They're... You could take a shot, throw it in the garbage, you go to the bathroom, do whatever. And it's it's cool. I'm like, I'll buy a couple of these things. I'll have a few shots and then I'll go to work and then I'll come home and it's like nobody would notice. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you start drinking, it's like one is too many and a hundred is not enough. Mm. You know, so you have one and then that's right. it. Boom. You've seen what it was like. You give me a bottle of Taylor wine. You're like, oh, you don't have to drink vodka, man. Have some wine. I'm like, cool. I'll have one glass. Before you know, I drink the whole bottle. You know, and that's one of the things that mm-hmm. would happen at work. But like I, I mentioned before, when you had taken a break um, to, to deal with the kids, but I was just speaking on my own about my experience in the market. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, realistically, the boys that work with me, like we were all drinking. A lot of people were drinking. You know, some people so had different would, things. You would drink some not only at home, but you would drink at yeah, work, too. People, it's like you're like, where do you find alcohol? People go to work. Alcoholics go to work with alcohol. You just don't know. People don't know. Yeah. People take a whole bottle of water full of alcohol, their thermostat, yeah. whatever. The same way the pies take their weed, cokeheads bring their coke, drug dealers bring their drugs. People, you know, it's the real world. And, yeah. you know, it's just something that I was caught up in. And, you know, it was all, it's my own decision making. It's not like anybody was ever telling me, hey, man, have a drink. It's just that 
I had the money to do whatever I wanted to do. I could pay the bills, do whatever. And then even when, you know, <laughs> when, even when I knew that I, that I was supposed to not drink anymore, I'll continue to drink. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, I started to realize, hey, like, this is, this is really a problem. You know, it's just affecting everything negatively. Um, from the very moment that I decided, I admitted that I was an alcoholic in court, drinking never served me. Like, it never worked for me again. Like, mm -hmm. I couldn't, there was, it was never that I was anywhere that it was like, I was having drinks and having a good time and everybody was like, just having a blast with me. It became something that I was doing alone, that I was doing in hidden places and hidden spaces and um, was hurting the people that I love around me more apparently than ever. Mm -hmm. And I was just having more and more blackouts. Okay. Um, I do want to talk about also, so the people that know me personally know that I'm a spiritual person. And I don't just say spiritual, like the universe and the universe, this universe, that it's, it's all about God to me. So I have been since I was younger, a, a spiritual person in a sense where I believe in God and I, you know, whenever I'm happy, pray to God, thank God. Whenever I'm sad or going through something, pray to God, ask for God to get me through it. So that's just always been my, my, my go-to, mm -hmm. right? Prayer has always been my go-to is what I'm trying to say. So, and praying has got me out of some very, very difficult situations so and i just want to express something that happened because i also okay so i'm never trying to uh i guess give props or credit to anything else but god like all glory to god always right wow. so there was one particular situation which if you don't mind me talking about um it was definitely you know baby was born he was a newborn and everything like that um and you were still you were still in the depth of your addiction. So I remember you had come home from work and it was, you know, obvious that you've been drinking, right? Um, so I remember us getting into an argument about that. Mm -hmm. And um, I just remember being so upset because I, like I said, I didn't understand. And so... I also, I didn't realize, and I didn't know, nothing that I didn't realize. I did I actually didn't know that God forbid, God bless you, of course, but that God forbid you could die from alcohol withdrawal, that you could right. die from not having alcohol because your body was so used to it, right? I didn't know that. I was not knowledgeable. I was not at all. So, of course, I remember being in an argument where I was so confused, like you've you know, you've been through the, you went to recovery or you're supposed to go to recovery, right? And you were doing so well for this amount of days. So why are you still continuing to drink, right? And I was, I was confused. I was lost. I didn't, I didn't understand. And I, I still don't, I'm not going to say I, I do. I still don't understand because I'm, I can never put myself in your shoes because I don't know. I don't know how it feels, right. you know? So I remember one particular day where I was very frustrated at you because you were drinking, you know, uh, uh, not even just the just the point of you drinking that would get that would trigger me in a way where it would trigger very negative emotions. And, you know, and, and we would argue about it. 
And I remember you just leaving. And you left the apartment that we were staying at. And I didn't see you for like like 10 hours after that, right? Um, I remember this particular day you leaving and then you just not coming back, right? So that caused so many anxious feelings because I'm thinking the worst and you didn't answer your phone. <laughs> I don't know what happened with the phone, but like I was calling your phone. I was texting your phone like, all right, please come back because now I'm really, really worried about you, right? And... Um, I remember being, I remember in that moment, right? I was so worried about you. I was scared. Like, God forbid anything could have happened to you. Cause you were, because you were intoxicated and you were walking around, uh, an area where, uh, or I guess a city, you know, you're from the Bronx, very familiar with the Bronx, but you're walking around Queens where you didn't know where you were at. You didn't know the streets like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, we only lived there for a couple of months before this. So you didn't really know where you were at. And so I was really scared. And I remember just, I kept looking out the window for you. I'm like, he's going to show up. Like, he has to show up. Like, I have to, I was trying to, like, look out the window just to see you walking to the building. And I was like, okay. And I remember, like, being so mad at you. And then I just started praying you know, and I started like just praying for your protection and and because because I was scared, like I didn't I didn't hear from you for hours. It was like five six hours. Mm-hmm. I remember going outside and looking for you. I couldn't find you. I knew that you were like in the area. I just didn't know like where you were at, and so I was scared because I'm like he should just come home and like rest and like, and so I remember <clears throat> praying and I was like. <laughs> hysterically crying and i'm like i like praying to god asking god to bring you to me and then i won't be angry with you anymore like i won't be mad at you i just want to take care of you i don't i want i just want to make sure that you are safe you know and i was i was very emotional and i was praying i remember i got on my knees in prayer and i was praying for you because i I didn't know where you were at. It's like you were lost. I called your mom also because your mom was in the Bronx. And so usually that would be your go-to. Like usually you would go to your mom's house. So I called your mom. Nobody. I called many people and nobody could find you. And I got so desperate. I started calling police stations. I started calling hospitals looking for you. And I know nothing. I got nothing. And so I was really scared of the unknown, right? So, of course, like me overthinking, God forbid, but of course I was thinking the worst. I'm like, oh my God, like, please just whatever, bring him home. Nothing. So I remember going through that for like a good, like, I want to say like 14 hours. It was a long time. And so I tried to go to sleep as much as I can. I tried to rest. And then I woke up and I still heard nothing from you. And again, I was really scared. I was thinking the worst. And then you called me from the hospital you have the hospital yeah he called me from the hospital and he finally came home and so i finally took a deep breath and we talked about everything and we talked it over but i also would like to know your perspective on that because my perspective was like oh my god like where is he and me thinking the worst i want you to speak about specifically what happened before you went to the hospital yeah um that was that was something i remember pretty clearly um so that day you know we had a i mean it wasn't 
it wasn't anything out of this world for us to have an argument when I was drinking, right? So, I mean, it definitely triggered an argument. Once, once I found my way outside, um, I just started walking with no destination. And then I, I found a, a liquor store, you know, I got like a fifth of vodka and I drank basically to the point where, where you can't stand. I was like on the floor in the middle of who knows, like the project somewhere mm-hmm. in Queens. Um, and there was a, a person that walked by, some man. He asked me if I was a writer, if I needed help. Um, and I kind of just... So a man walked up to you and asked if you were all right, if you were yeah, okay. Yeah, pretty much. And and I I was like, you know, I I don't remember exactly what I said to the person, but I guess I... I, you know, kind of gestured, yeah, you know, I could use some help. And um, he helped me up. I put my arm around his shoulder. He was, wasn't was like a big guy or anything. Um, but he walked with me. And I walked and walked. And I remember, I was drunk to the point where I couldn't even stand. Mm-hmm. But I walked to the hospital. I don't know what freaking hospital it was. <laughs> I don't know how we got there. I just know that we walked there. And then, um, you know, I basically woke up in the hospital the next day looking for all my things yeah and then i you know i asked the people there i'm like you know who, uh who was the person that brought me here and they basically were like nobody brought you to the hospital so it was a weird experience in the sense of like i don't know who that person was i'm i'm glad that i made it to the hospital that day because i mean i don't know if you've ever seen anybody drunk on the floor in the street or completely out i mean who's to say but um you know, I, I look at Do the, you think... Um, go ahead, sorry. Good. I was going to say, do you think that was a person? I mean, I don't know. Some people say that that's like divine intervention. It felt otherworldly. I mean, imagine, I was definitely out of my mind. So yeah. uh, I can't say that it wasn't like the help of an angel or some something. But... I think it was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I um, it's not the first time I've heard that. It's I, a it's an interesting story. It's like I've said this story to many people and they always say that that was an angel that walked you to the hospital because you were looking for somebody when you woke up. Who was the person that walked me to the hospital, you know, yeah, when I was yeah. down like down and out and drunk like that and it was like a mystery and it still remains a mystery. Nobody knows. Absolutely. You like and that's a miracle. Yeah, I'm grateful it for really those is. the for I mean, I've, I can only thank God for that, yeah. you know, experience. So let me but, ask you this. When when speaking about all that, I want to ask you, I'm make you cry. I want to ask you, how does, okay. How do you think getting closer to God helped you with your re- recovery? That's a really good question. I love that question. I think um so one of the one of the things that that changed for me um was that I I, I had the opportunity to go to rehab again. Mm-hmm. Later, right? Um our relationship started falling apart. Um I left Pennsylvania. I drove back to New York drunk and everything. Mm-hmm. Took the car with me and just 
Um, the goal behind that was to be able to go to rehab again. And I knew that I needed to get back into the job that I had in order to be able to have the insurance to be able to cover rehab because of how expensive it was. But to answer your question about how I feel how God has helped me in my recovery, um, in this new place, I uh, really paid attention to the 12-step system. And I realized that it takes more than just admitting that uh, you're an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. um, you then have to admit that alcohol, you know, has control over you and that you're basically uh, like helpless. Mm -hmm. And then you have to surrender to God, you know, your alcoholism. Because I realized something, you know, like realistically, the alcohol was the most important thing in my life. I was drinking before I was thinking about my children. I was drinking before thinking about my wife. I was drinking before thinking about my mother. I was drinking before thinking about my brothers. And ultimately, I was drinking before thinking about my own organs. You know? I hate your health. Uh, I didn't think at all about God when I was drinking, you know? Um, and I started to realize what allowing something to have power over you feels like. And I really had to realize that I was powerless as long as I was drinking. Alcohol had all the power. So um, it definitely shifted my mindset. I'm a, I believe in God, you know, I've, I really haven't had an issue with, with like believing in God. I know that some of my friends that, that, that some of the friends that I've made in, in rehab struggled a bit with the idea of spirituality. And I can understand, I can understand why it's tough. But, you know, we definitely had like a big, big, um, big discussions about, about, um, how God, uh, you know, is involved in your life and what that means. So, you know, I personally give all the credit to God and all mm -hmm. the glory to God as far as my sobriety and um, the ability to be over, you know, 1,200 days sober. I think uh, 1,215 days today, <laughs> uh, one day at a time. Yeah. Um, but it's changed everything. I mean, I... I, I for some time, I, I felt like, uh, like. Don't mind me. <laughs> for some time, I felt like, like uh, you know, being a follower of any set of rules was something that was restricting my life. Um, but then I learned that all these rules are not really rules, but they're more like tools. So um, I, I realized that that these teachings from. Um, from Jesus Christ himself, that yeah. the, the powerful words in Proverbs um, were things that were reapplied in so many other areas of, of life. Like it's not, these, these, uh, these ideas are not um, omitted from many other walks of life. Like sometimes you, you may think some disciplines are so unique, but they're very, very similar in, in the sense of the, the basic um, structure of what your day should look like and the things that you should do. So, uh, to be, you know, completely transparent with you, like one of the, the best, uh, things that I do in my life today is to make sure that I include, um, prayer in my life daily, mm -hmm. um, that I set the intentions of my day, um, you know, purely in my heart and, 
you know, just continually take it one day at a time because people do ask me, how, how do you, how do you not drink, right? Ever, um, you know, or at least for, you know, the three plus years that I've been sober. And, you know, it, it gets easier with time. It's basically just one day at a time, you know, yeah. just like here. Um, at first it was an hour at a time, mm-hmm. you know, a minute at a time, but it, it all came from making a decision. And, and I think that that's, that's the piece that's missing for a lot of people, like just saying like, all right, you know what, no matter what these people are doing, no matter what, you know, my friends are doing, no matter what, it's interesting too, because people see me around other people that are drinking and say like, how could you be around other people drinking? And it's like, Mm -hmm. because I have decided that drinking doesn't serve me, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've definitely seen a lot of you know, fruits come from this behavior, you know, the change. And so um, when we first got together, right? Well, not when we first got together. <laughs> when we first started living together specifically, I did hear a lot of, I guess, backlash, you can say, of, of me wanting to, let's say, for example, me have a bar with, because I, you know, I like drinking wine specifically. So um, like, of me i would hear a lot of backlash of me like just say i had an idea of having a bar in my house like a little a little one but just like little bottles of wine or whatever the backlash would be you can't do that to christian because christian is recovering alcoholic still you know like you gotta drink responsibly you drink responsibly i drink until the wheels fall off that's the bottom line i'm a party person yeah i mean (laughs) That's funny, but it's the truth. Like you need to understand that the 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 funny thing is, the alcoholics don't drink. That's the truth, right? When you what admit you when you're admit people always get confused. When you admit that you're an alcoholic and you say, "Hey, I'm an oh, alcoholic," uh, yeah, you're, you're not drinking. You're not, and I, you know yeah. how many people I meet? Hey, man, my name is so and so. I'm an alcoholic. How long you been sober? Fifty years. I'm like, how the hell are you still an alcoholic? Right. right? It, it's a little confusing. So you would still consider yourself an alcoholic? Yes. Okay. And why is Forever. that? Because. Because. Is it because like you don't know when enough is enough or like when to stop or like what do, what would you consider? I know that an I've, I've become a problem drinker. Okay. I know that my level is way different than yours. Mm-hmm. Let me give you a very clear understanding. I used to drink alcohol, do pills, do cocaine with my friends, all at the same time, smoke weed. Mm -hmm. My level of dopamine level, like my fun level was so freaking high that once I eventually stopped even doing things like cocaine and just... Huh? You said dopamine? Yeah, like your level of... of Oh, dopamine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um... And then it was just alcohol. I would take the alcohol so far that it would just black me out. Okay, so let me ask you this, right? When you get to that level of you feel like like it's almost bottomless, like you can keep drinking, right? So what was it? Was it that that contributed to you like experiencing other things like drugs? Or what was it that, that like, would, did you want to enhance the feeling? Like, what was it? No, no, no. So don't get into it. Like I said, I... I, I never I never did things like like pills and, and cocaine for long periods of time. 
right? Okay. I definitely dabbled in those, yeah, like Molly and Ecstasy Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. things like that. They're like party drugs that I go with a bunch of friends and we go out, go to a strip club or something. And that's how I was introduced to a friend of mine, actually in the DJ booth in a, in a club in the city was like, uh, you know, you ever, you ever done a bump before? And then, you know, invited me, so to speak to, uh, to try cocaine or whatever. And I was pretty young at the time, so um, I didn't. I don't even think I had a real high or anything like that. But then um, later on in life, some of my friends uh, would offer here and there, and I was always open to to trying some party drug, you know, for the night or for for the party. But um, you know, for me mainly, it was just like when I when I did those type of um, uppers, um, the alcohol didn't really hit as hard. So I could keep drinking and not get um, as drunk, you know, so to speak. So my level of like alertness and, and um, you know, ability to make it through the whole night and, and keep going and uh, ultimately make it home uh, was different as to when I just kind of was pulled away from all, I pulled away from all those people and would only drink. What do you think? What was because you said you went to rehab two times, right? Yeah. So what was the the difference? Because the first time you went to rehab, you relapsed. The second time, you've been sober for what three years, three and a half years, almost four years. So what was the difference between the first experience and the second experience? Okay, so the first experience, I still had uh. I still was holding on to external things, including you, right? So I figured I go to rehab, I come back home, we're good. I did what I said I was gonna do. Mm-hmm. You should be good. Mm-hmm. Everybody, everything should be fine. Um, my mother will be okay. Work will be like, oh cool, he went to rehab. Um, I could write it down. I could send the paper to court. The first right? time. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I went to rehab. I mm-hmm. shouldn't be. You know, nobody should say anything to me about anything. You anymore. thought just because you went, you said you, you know, you went to rehab and you did that for what two weeks, then everything would be all good. Yeah, like I could prove I went to rehab. Right. I'm getting help. People mm-hmm. would, you know, not just people, but the the system that was um, stopping me from, you know. A lot of things. Yeah, yeah basically. <laughs> um, you know, would, would I think I thought that, that that would be suffice in order for me to to you know achieve what I wanted, which was basically have control of my situation again. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second time I went to rehab, our relationship was done. It was like me and you were dead. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I wasn't getting any any traction with um, getting custody of my daughter because of the condition that I was in, um, and you know my job was like all i really had at the time right yeah. uh and they fully supported me getting help because transparently more and more people where i work are uh addicted to different substances than you could yeah. imagine i mean you know uh and that's just you know the way it is so when i went to rehab i had a a shift of mindset you know and i i promised my mother that I, that i would change um i promised my daughter that i would change First of all, let me just, a little side note, your mom is the most patient and the most wonderful person. Like, well, she she was, but 
she loves you so much like she <laughs> for real because like a, a, let me just say like a lot of uh parents kind of give up on their kids be, right because it's like you have hope that they would be better and do better right but she never gave up on you like she always held it down for you that's yeah. one thing i have to say about your mom is that she was like always she was like your number one fan she always was behind you like you got this yeah i appreciate number my mother so supporter. much i mean there's there's several people like that you're one of them um although you know i know we we weren't in a good place that you know during that time as, yeah, I, as i've gotten to know you <laughs> i've learned that you truly have like the the like you want people to be at their best you know ultimately but you know relationships are relationships right so mm -hmm. it's kind of tough to to communicate when you're not really good with yourself so I also want to add that when you went to rehab the second time was when, you know, we had already moved to, you know, well, I moved with my mom to Pennsylvania. Yeah, we um, we ended our relationship, like from my perspective. I don't know. It could have been a different perspective, but um, nah, we were we like, in up. like, we yeah, we yeah, we left, broke up. We were like in like the hardest time of our relationship. We were not living together. Like it was definitely... A hardship I will say it was very hard it was very difficult um and like you said you know just from my perspective I was looking for you and your mom told me that you went to rehab the second time which again I didn't know because you didn't tell anybody like only the people that you were like physically with knew um nobody else knew so um when that happened and then you were on blackout blackout means they took your phone they took your whatever so you right they took yeah everything so you didn't reach out to me and so that's when i was like yo we are like officially done like this is not and this was what august september i'm not september july, uh, july yeah july of 2020 that's when you know i didn't hear anything from you and so i was like i really thought like well not thought but like our relationship was over it was done so you know, and being in that spot, I just remember waking up and I would be very sad. Like, I would just be like, damn, like, you know, like, I felt like I was working. We were working towards something, you know, or our goal, what we were working towards. And it was it was sad. I was very sad. And I just remember looking for you and I couldn't find you. And your mom told me that that's where you were at. And so I would just, you know, I went through my own situation and my own emotions and that, um, in that particular time frame, but tell me what you were going through. Let's let's say after two weeks, after your, because how long were you there for? You were there for over a, a month. A and, over a month. Yeah. So the second time you went to rehab, you were there for over a month. Yeah, it doesn't sound like Speaking a long time, but yeah. it, it feels like an eternity oh, yeah, when sure. you're in rehab, particularly just because of the nature of what it is. Um, the the whole the idea was like I'm gonna. I went in there and then I finally had the spiritual awakening, which was like the mm. moment of like, this is it, you know, I'm not, I'm, and it needs, it became like something that, you know, I, it, to this day, I can say it's, it's a sustainable thing because, you know, I've been able to, to remain sober, but ultimately it was like, all right, I need to really take the, the things that they provide to me as tools mm. and bring them home. So I had to decide, like, what do I want to do? And I, and there was where I was like, all right, this is the person that I want to be with. This is the life that I want to lead. 
this is the person that I want to be. And then as you allowed me to come back into your life, um, little by little, through like video chat and calling on the phone, which was, which was difficult enough. Little by little. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah, I eventually we're super, able to like, to to, to um, reconnect. But you know the the true, the true work begins when you leave rehab. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when I was able to come back um, in touch with you and to start working on myself outside of the, the program that I was in, uh, it really wouldn't have been possible without your help and without the, the wonderful, um, you know, love and support that you provide to me every single day and the level of, of understanding that you have behind what the process was like. So, you know, I mean, if I could say, honestly, I, I really thank you for, for being there for me through all of the worst moments in my life. Um, I think that I, I partied hard for a long time, but um, I feel like God put you in my life on purpose. Um, and, and I know that. Um, and I think they were both meant to be there for each other, to help each mm-hmm. other. Um, our relationship has been very different. Uh, I definitely didn't have the communication skills that I have now. Um, but I wouldn't have been, been able to develop those skills without you being a person that I can grow with and that, you know, reciprocates the same level of effort. Um, but ultimately for me, I was struggling with alcoholism, which could have taken my life. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for you helping me have the right um, system in place, I could have easily fallen by the wayside. I mean, if I didn't have a supportive partner, supportive partner on, in my corner, I mean, I could have easily, you know, went, went in the wrong direction. But, you know, today we're, we're in a different place and, and I'm grateful for, for you every single day. And, you know, you do cool things. Like, you still pay attention. You know, it's been quite a while since I came out of rehab and things are good. And the idea of like not ever being complacent is important. Even things like this that, you know, are so important to me today. Yeah. And I've always said that, hey, look, in five years, I'll, you mm-hmm. know, within five years, I'll, I'll, I'll begin to sponsor people and I'll go to, to the rehabs and to the, to the places where people need to hear, hear, um, uh, you know, somebody else's experience to help them feel motivated or to allow them to feel uh, uh, like they can do it. Um, but you're allowing me the opportunity to do that now with you and you're taking it on with me too. And and don't get it twisted. Just because you're not yourself an alcoholic, there's, there's many things that involve alcoholism. You know, the family, the wives, mm-hmm. the children of alcoholics. And all of these people deserve therapy they all deserve um support and they're also all going through something as well so when you love somebody that's an alcoholic it doesn't exclude you like oh i'm not the alcoholic it's him that's going through it you're also going through through something as well and it's not like a victim mentality either don't get it just the partners in general like it's 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 mentally it's a lot and it can it can affect you very badly i guess mentally because you feel like, well, just speaking from my point of view, I felt like, why isn't he changing for me? Or why isn't he? Like, I just, 
I took it personal, basically, when I shouldn't have. And that was a little, you know, I guess, you know, you you aren't knowledgeable. Well, I wasn't knowledgeable in the sense of, like, it. God forbid, but it could kill you if you didn't have a drink, right? You were so heavily in your addiction. But I was still so, like, but why, you know, why isn't he changing for me? And, like, he needs to stop drinking he needs to get help right but you like needed actual help and i you need help yeah i thought it would just you know selfishly i will say at 24 with 23 24 years old i felt like he should have changed for me or it should have been me you know but it it, that's not what it is and that's like i said that's that is a selfish way to think of it but we um it was hard because like you know, when you, the second time you came back from rehab, I just had like a huge wall up and I did not let you in, you know, like, cause I was scared. I was like, if I let you in, you're, I felt like I was going to get hurt. I felt like, you know, same thing all over again, like a cycle was going to happen. I was just so done with it. And that's, that's why we ended up in the situation we were in, right? We were separated and I just couldn't connect with you anymore. It was really hard. Um, but then eventually I started noticing the changes in you and I started noticing like the difference in you, even like having a conversation with me. I started noticing that the first time we had an argument after rehab and you didn't go to drinking as a as an outlet. Yeah. And I started looking at the little changes and then I was like, OK, well, it looks like. But I, well, I will say in, in the beginning, it was very hard to, you know, that's be very honest it's very hard to trust somebody that you know yeah, that has... to trust an addict girl. like think about it or any it's... honestly honey anybody that anybody that hurts you i feel you right anybody that hurts you i get it but then mm. also you know there's things things like the stigmas are there for a reason oh yeah you know like the it's just the way it is you know but you can't I... place everybody in a no, absolutely not but for, for people that are in in living with an addiction that want to change their life you have to decide that you're going to change your life forever and you're never going to be the same you're not going to be like other people i had a person in rehab say and she was like what am i going to do at my wedding am i not going to have champagne mm. it's like if you're worried about the wrong thing you're not going to make it to your wedding if you keep drinking and even if you yeah. do you won't you won't it's true and it's not to say that look it, it's interesting to me because people don't fully register that sometimes like most of the time the alcohol is not going to kill you abruptly and young or whatever but it's bad it's so bad for you like ultimately my friends that have passed away um prematurely are not that young but they're like 50 you know what i mean so um just to add to that, it says, um, you know, just doing more research, but the alcohol-related disease, it says that there are more than 140,000 deaths uh, every year. Is it every year? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. More than 300,000 deaths every year contributing to alcohol addiction. And it says that... Um, it's about 5.3% of all deaths and that approximately there's more male deaths resulting from alcoholism than female um significantly almost 50,000 male more than female yeah 
Um, Ultimately, so it, know, it is an issue. It's it's an issue all around the world. If you're if you're suffering from from alcoholism and you get help, you'll realize also that you know life and balance is super important. The reason why I've been able to be so successful is because I have a partner that understands that I'm an alcoholic and has enough knowledge to think through what triggers may be or what things I may need to help facilitate my lifestyle, right? So that I can continue to to thrive. And what happens is like, when you take away alcohol from someone that's, that's drinking all the time, all of a sudden they're like, have all this energy to do so much other stuff and you've been keeping up with my crazy jujitsu and doing this and that and the other and that that's very important you know and because you know like they say you know uh yeah so i've i've been sober for 1215 days today um and so that would be what three and a half years I'll tell you right now. You want to see like the... Yeah, the whole thing. The whole thing. It'll be... Cool. Three years, three wait, months, wait, what 20 days. So, what what is this app called? It's I am called sober. I Am Sober. Okay, this app is called I Am Sober. And it says, I've been, I've been alcohol-free for three years, three months, 28 days, 11 hours, 40 minutes, and 20 seconds. <laughs> It like does the whole breakdown. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, it's a helpful app. It's super cool. Like so, the, yeah. So the last well, well, it says my sober start date is July twenty ninth, twenty twenty, at eight o one a.m. That's so specific. But. Yeah, it's super specific because when they come get you to take you to rehab, um, a person comes in like a van and they come pick you up, and uh, you know, I was just drinking until they picked me up. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Yeah. So, if you, honest, honestly, if you could say, if you could say anything to someone that is struggling with, you know, alcohol addiction, what would you say to them to, like, help them in any way, like a gem from your experience? Yeah, I think uh, if you're struggling with addiction and um, you decide that you, you need help, get help take action and uh reach out to someone there's there are so many resources available but it's up to you so what i've learned is that you're the only person that can save yourself Literally. and you have to take part in your own rescue you have to be an active participant of your own rescue if not <laughs> nah, nah, basically i just i mean i think the biggest thing for people to do is to just reach out um speak to somebody and and um you know always yeah there's always many resources and we're also going to put some links for um whatever it is alcohol alcoholics anonymous there are there's an app right yeah there's an app where you can yeah speak more about that it's called meetings so the the the, app is called the meetings app is awesome yeah it it looks like a chair um basically it's uh it, it gives you the the dates and times for all the the AA meetings within your area it it just uses your location um i think the AA phenomenon is 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 amazing it's completely anonymous um the first time i went i didn't know what the heck i was doing i just kind of like walked into a random facility and it's just like a you know, like a church or a usually school a building church, or yeah. something usually it's like a church 
basement somewhere um and there'll be some, an indicator that you're at the right place and there's the the app gives you a meeting with that's the closest to i mean all of them basically come out but it'll give you the from the closest to you um to the furthest and also there are meetings every single hour in your area i mean depending where you live but most of the time they'll they'll be uh, a meeting available to you every single hour of the day from like 6 a.m to like who knows like 10 at night so for people that are struggling with drinking i mean you could just go hang out with other people that are not drinking and and that's a cool way to meet other people anonymously so yeah um you can find that we're well, going through the same struggle as you yeah exactly yeah, other people that are going through the same thing um and that's what it's all about it's about um you know brotherhood service and uh you know ultimately god you know yeah um i i definitely hope that if you hear this today you you know you and you're struggling with something you you take the opportunity to love yourself and and make a change um and you'll see the the benefits and I do want to say, just because you drink doesn't make you an alcoholic. <laughs> like, let's just make a little disclaimer yeah, here. Sure. That's not what we're trying to say at all. We're trying to help those who excessively drink and who are really, truly alcoholics. And what makes you an alcoholic is someone that, let's just say, gets blackout drunk every single day. You know, like every day for like years. You know, if you go like, like I've said before on a, on a previous podcast, if you go like on a girl's trip and you drink for three days straight, that doesn't make you an alcoholic, but we're talking about everyday life. When you come home from work, what are you doing? When you come home from work, if you're getting blackout drunk to a point where you feel sick and you don't know how to stop every single day for what years. Is, what is what is what is defi- what is alcoholism defined like online? It's it's so weird because it's because well, it's... I guess it's not weird, but it's it's just different for men and it's different for with for women. I find the like what I'm gonna look up now. Actually, what. Hold on. In the Alcoholics Anonymous book, because there's a there's a big book that that um, explains like the the definition of an yeah, alcoholic. Yeah, defini- defi- different definitions for different types of alcoholics, and also like uh, you know the the doctor's opinion and um, all the things that that can help you understand if if you could potentially you know benefit from not drinking i mean some people have a hard time understanding if if they truly fall under you know these things i mean something somebody asked me was like how many drinks are you having when you have a drink because i usually be like yeah i have a drink whatever what does that mean i mean for me that meant like half a bottle of vodka i don't know right realistically anything over like four drinks a night or something is kind of yeah so it says um heavy drinking includes binge drinking binge drinking what does that mean I mean, definition binge by drinking like, the is like I when know you, what it means, but I mean, like, yeah, what does it mean but to hold somebody on. that... It says, heavy drinking includes binge drinking and has been defined for women as four or more drinks on any day or eight or more per week. And again, this is continuously, like, on and on and on and on, not just for, like, one week and you're good. That It's literally, like, yes. on and on. And for men, as five or more drinks on any day or 15 or more per week so and again we don't we don't want to trigger anybody that drinks we're just trying to help someone that has you know alcoholism or struggling with alcohol abuse the reason why i think it's so important is because if you're having that many drinks a week 
And this is what was funny because when I stopped drinking, I started to realize how much people really drink. Mm-hmm. Right? Because right. you realize that Sunday people stop drinking, if they stop drinking. And then by Thursday, they're real thirsty. I used to drink every day. So for me, it was really easy to identify as an alcoholic. That was not a problem. And some people don't experience their significant other die. Some people don't crash their car and kill somebody. Some people don't yeah. don't die young. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? They don't see physical effects of the drinking immediately. But cirrhosis is real sneaky. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's true. And that's what worries me the most Even, for the people yeah. that I love. Because it's not that it's gonna be like something that takes you today but when i and i'm you know i'm no spring chicken and some of my friends are are in their 50s and 60s and i'm I'm seeing that some of a lot of the people that i worked with in the past that are around 60 that are heavily abusing not just alcohol but other things like smoking and and recreational drugs are legit just dying in their 60s mm-hmm. early 60s that's true and, and it's like it's really feeling like scary for for yeah for you know for me particularly because i have a lot of people that i know that still drink regularly and don't and it's crazy because like if it's literally the norm it's in movies it's in like any person that you speak to they would tell you i'm having a bad day i'm a drink right but that should not be the only outlet let's just be very honest your outlet should be something that doesn't have anything to do with alcohol most of the time if there's ever a time where you're like i really need a drink i need a glass of wine or whatever i need a shot whatever then that's fine but when it becomes if when that becomes your outlet to every negative emotion then that would be considered an issue right because if you're having a bad day why should your first resort be alcohol if you're having a sh- but we're, we're all going to have stressful days. We're all going to have bad days. But why should being drunk, like, I guess, numb you in a way where you don't feel for just the day? It's That shouldn't just be the only outlet is what I'm, what I'm saying. Um, also, when it comes to physically, first of all, let's just be honest. Drinking every day is not good for your mental health. It's not good for your brain at all. Um, and besides that, it can cause acute hepatitis. And hepatitis is... The liver. Yeah, yes. You get alcoholic you hepatitis. hepatitis, which is it damages your liver. <laughs> if you don't know what that um, means, basically hepatitis is the swelling of the liver. Liver, So your liver will yeah. begin to grow. And I know just because some people maybe don't know what hepatitis yeah, is. Yeah, of course. Um, and then um, cirrhosis often often develops also kidney problems gastrointestinal bleeding fluid in your stomach confusion liver cancer severe infections um and also the liver can develop new cells um but this is like again prolonged alcohol misuse drinking too much over many years Also, fatty liver, fat the fat builds up in your liver and it stops it from working properly and it can lead to the scarring of the liver, which is also cirrhosis. Um, and then it says, you know, the symptoms of alcoholic liver disease include abdominal pain and tenderness, dry mouth, increased thirst, fatigue, jaundice, which is the yellowing of the skin, loss of appetite and nausea. Your skin may look abnormally dark or light. And then, let's see. So, it says, um, 
alcoholic-related cirrhosis, the most serious form, it occurs when the entire liver is scarred, causing the liver to shrink and harden. This can lead to liver failure. Usually, the damage cannot be reversed. Between 10 to 20% of heavy drinkers develop cirrhosis, typically after 10 or more years of drinking. So, if you think about it, right? When we talk about when I started drinking, right? It's really easy for you to drink from 10 to 30, I mean, 20 to 30 years old. I was going to say yeah. 10 yeah. years. Like, a decade of drinking will go right by you. And mm-hmm. not just, you know, not just alcohol misuse, but then, you know, any other thing that you do that isn't really serving you. So, again, I love that you say, you know, let's not say that everybody that drinks is an alcoholic. That's not what it is. No, I have a bunch of friends and family that drinks. All, yeah. People drink responsibly, and that's good. If you can drink responsibly, that's wonderful. But if you cannot drink responsibly, then you should think through, you know, if it's really affecting you negatively. I think, you know, the the point of the podcast is not really to to have people try to diagnose themselves. I, I'm just grateful that you got you gave me the opportunity to share some of my story because I yeah. do know people that are legit struggling. You know, um, I have some. Uh, friends that reach out to me whenever they feel like drinking and you know we talk through um the moment so that you don't have to drink and then for those of you that are thinking about not drinking anymore there's a whole faction of people that don't drink that you know find other positive outlets in their life yes and um and what do you think your positive outlet is now doing things like fitness and music and actually being able to execute on things like, you know, podcasting and and really living the, the dream. You know, we, we talk about how, like, some people, you know, see things happen. Some people talk about things happen. Something, some people make things happen. And I really want to continue to make things happen. And that's that's only possible if I make time to do those wonderful things. Yeah. So I have some really beautiful, positive outlets in my life today. I can feel myself becoming someone that I've always wanted to be. And I think uh, a huge part of it was <laughs> <laughs> just letting go of the alcohol <laughs> and uh, um, having the right people in my life. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, I also want to mention, you know, this will be like our last few points before we end. I do want to mention the craziness of drunk driving oh wow so when you know from i'm not gonna say for everybody but for many people when they're drunk they have like this boost of confidence where it's like all right i can drink i can make it home oh i got 30 minutes to get home i'm good i'm good but um as an overview, it says every day about 37 people in the U.S. alone die in drunk driving crashes, which is one about one person every 39 minutes. And in 2021, 13,384 people died in alcohol-impaired driving traffic deaths, which is a 14% increase from the year before, 2020. So I lost a friend in order to respect his family and him and his, you know, business, of course, um, I'm just going to speak a little bit about it. So, yes, I had a friend who um, actually got hit by a car and he it was on the highway 
and come to find out the person that hit him was drunk and had a very high, almost three times the limit, alcohol, and was not only drunk, but also on drugs as well. Um, and yeah, killed the person. A very young guy. He was, I believe, 27, 28. So, and that happens like way too often. So how do you feel about people that get behind the wheel when they're drunk? I mean, you should never Or like drugs. just heavily I mean, intoxicated and think my, they could do it. Yeah, from my point of view, I drank, I was drinking and driving almost every day, literally. So I don't know how the hell I never got a DUI or, I mean, I definitely had some fender benders, mm-hmm. you know, um, but the truth is that people shouldn't drink and drive. I know it's, it, you know, you know me these days, I'm full of the cliche sayings. I'm all about, <laughs> you know, there's so much truth and, you yeah. know, don't drink and drive. Somebody's going to get, you know, eventually Somebody could lose their life, like, you know. Yeah, and like, you have people that love these people yeah. that have to suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's traumatic. It's yeah. it's really really dangerous, you know, drinking and driving. It's and my thing is too like I I I get it I get it I understand like when you when you go out somewhere right and you're having a great time but you still feel sober enough and not sober but I would say like let's say if you're like you've been drinking all night right but you still feel like you're okay to get behind the wheel and drive home because you're only like ten twenty minutes away right. Let's just say, for example, you can still, because your mind is not at its normal state. At its normal state, we don't have alcohol. <laughs> like at the minds, at the brain's normal state, we don't have alcohol in our system, right? right? Alcohol affects you tremendously. It could be even two, three glasses of whatever. It still affects you. And I will say it affects you more negatively than it does positively. Like physically, it does. Yeah, so when sure. you get behind the wheel, it's like a really high chance that you could misjudge something. and Or you could not see somebody and you could, you could potentially kill somebody. And so what we're saying is drive. Please drive responsibly. Like I'm a big advocate of that. Um, Drive responsibly and please don't drink and drive. If you cannot afford an Uber to go home after a night out, then you shouldn't even be going out at this point because, come on. So take an Uber or ride with somebody who's sober. Like, please don't drink and drive. Yeah, I mean, that's the truth. It's really scary. It's interesting because if you you find yourself drinking and driving, you need to assess yourself and see if you truly need to find some sort of help because you're you're teetering on the line of making decisions that are already you know out of the realm of conscientiousness like you're not thinking about other people's lives and you know i'm guilty of doing it myself i know many people that do it all the time and i'm not innocent i have done it before one time and never again but i i did i'm not i'm not innocent I, i have done it before (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean i know this has been a loaded topic and um it's pretty heavy uh we have both lost people mm-hmm. um there are people out there that have lost people so i know that it can be a little triggering 
but like I said, at the at the end of it all, um, today, I'm grateful that I have someone like you in my life that has also experienced the, you know, the the pain of a loss due to something like alcohol. Yeah. Because you can understand why I'm so passionate about helping other people that are looking for help, and um, I think that's the intention behind this podcast today. Yeah. Uh, because I know that, you know, maybe there are some people that, that are, you know, struggling alone. I'm such a crybaby. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's an emotional topic. You know? It is. An emo- it is a very emotional topic. So it's, first of all, it's it took to a lot for both of us to be transparent. And again, that's why I made the disclaimer. Like if you're going to prejudge us before knowing the situation, even hearing that, you know you're you know you're a recovering alcoholic like even hearing that initially if you're misjudging him then you don't even need to be listening to this and that's why i said that disclaimer because you deserve better you deserve more than that you deserve you know people that are going to be receptive yeah <laughs> so and funny. just be like you know just just listen all we're asking is to listen because this could really like save somebody this could help somebody just as one thing you know so that is the end of our podcast and we do want to thank you if you have made it this was a very probably my longest podcast i ever did but if you have made it all the way to the end we do want to thank you so much for listening to us and i do like to say if you have heard it all the way up until this point please hit me up personally at pure gold underscore xo and just message me and tell me if you've ever had an experience or you if you have a family member or a friend or whatever it is or even if you don't have like personal experiences with with alcoholism just let me know how you like this episode or if it touched you or whatever whatever it is and i do want to thank my guests for today for being very transparent and honest and open and even though there is a crazy stigma when it comes to alcoholic you know, recovering alcoholics. Um, I do want to thank you for your transparency and yeah, thank you for your honesty. Me. It was my pleasure. Thank you all for listening. Uh, look forward to doing more episodes with you. Me too. And we will. <laughs> <laughs> but again, thank you for listening to this podcast. And this is the end. But again, thank you, thank you, thank you for making it this far. And until next time, bye.